This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we honor the year in music for 2000, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2000. We also look at this year's nominations list for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, plus our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Songwriters Hall of Fame in Los Angeles, California. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 2000. It was the year that the world survived the Y2K bug that was supposed to shut down all of the computers at midnight on New Year's Eve once the year hit double zero with everyone's computers. In music, new metal and the boy band craze took hold as groups like Limp Bizkit, Papa Roach, and Kid Rock were all sharing space within Sync, whose second album, No Strings Attached, moved them to superstardom status. Britney Spears also hit superstardom status with her Oops I Did It Again tour. Metallica sued Napster. Napster then became a subscription-based service. Napster would eventually shut down in 2001. 28 states sued record companies for price fixing on CDs. Prince changed his name back to Prince from the symbol that he was using in a contract dispute with his record label, Warner Brothers. And nine people died when an audience rushed the stage during a Pearl Jam concert at a festival in Denmark. Groups that were formed in 2000 included Above and Beyond, The Zac Brown Band, Crash Diet, Fusebox, Los Lonely Boys, O-Town, and The Yeah Yeah Yeahs. Groups that either called it quits in 2000 before, of course, their inevitable reunions, or announced their hiatus included The Spice Girls, Luscious Jackson, Candlebox, Rage Against the Machine, Fish, The Posies, Letters to Cleo, Primus, Skunk Anansi, The Smashing Pumpkins, Color Me Bad, All Saints, and Ben Folds 5. Most of those groups actually reformed later on in one form or another. Meanwhile, the group, the Presidents of the United States, reformed in the year 2000. Eminem had one of the biggest selling albums of 2000 with the Marshall Mathers LP. Other artists who had big albums that year included the Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Creed, Nelly, Dr. Dre, Destiny's Child, Santana, Coldplay, Sync, Linkin Park, Limp Biscuit, Westlife, Enya, The Coors, Shaggy, along with greatest hits albums from Whitney Houston, Queen, and The Beatles. Radiohead also released their classic album Kid A that year. Breathe by Faith Hill was one of the biggest songs of the year, followed by Santana's Smooth and also his song Maria Maria, Joe's I Wanna Know, Vertical Horizons Everything You Want, Destiny Child Say My Name, Savage Gardens I Knew I Loved You, Lone Stars Amazed, Bon Jovi's It's My Life, Matchbox 20's Bent, Madonna's Music, and Tony Braxton's He Wasn't Man Enough. 
In country music, Garth Brooks announced that he was done touring. That lasted for almost 20 years, actually, until his kids were old enough to not need him around as much or they booted him out of the house, whichever story you go with. Meanwhile, Rural America TV network RFD-TV started, which had mainly agricultural shows, but also had a lot of country music shows on it. Country music star and future Eagles band member Vince Gill, along with Christian pop music crossover superstar Amy Grant, both got married to each other, no less. Big albums for the year included Alan Jackson's When Somebody Loves You, Leanne Womack's I Hope You Dance, Joe D. Messina's Burn, two greatest hits albums from George Strait, one greatest hits album from Kenny Chesney, one greatest hits album from Tim McGraw, the Coyote Ugly soundtrack, and the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Big singles for country included Faith Hill's Breathe and also The Way You Love Me, Tim McGraw's My Best Friend and also My Next 30 Years, Leanne Womack's I Hope You Dance, Kenny Rogers' Buy Me a Rose, Lone Star's What About Now, Aaron Tippin's Kiss This, John Michael Montgomery's The Little Girl, The Dixie Chicks, now known as The Chicks, with their song Cowboy Take Me Away, Travis Tritt's Best of Intentions, and Alan Jackson's It Must Be Love. In hip-hop, the biggest albums were Eminem's The Marshall Mathers LP, Jay-Z's The Dynasty, Rock La Familia, Outkast's Stankonia, Snoop Dogg's The Last Meal, Mystical's Let's Get Ready, The Wu-Tang Clan's The Wu, Ja Rule's Rule 336, Nelly's Country Grammar, Jurassic 5's Quality Control, Exhibits Restless, and the Ride or Die Volume 2 compilation. The biggest hip-hop singles included Eminem's The Real Slim Shady, Missy Elliott's Hot Boys, Nelly's Country Grammar, Jay-Z's I Just Want to Love You, and also his song Big Pimpin', Dr. Dre's The Next Episode, and also Forget About Dre, and Ice Cube's You Can Do It. In dance music, there were big albums like Paul Van Dyke's Out There and Back, Tiesto Presents Magic Six Live in Amsterdam, Moby's Play, Fatboy Slim's Halfway Between the Gutter and the Stars, Nightmare on Wax's DJ Kicks, William Orbit's Pieces in a Modern Style, and Madonna's Music. There were two iconic songs that were released, mainly because of the fact that they still get played in sports stadiums worldwide to this very day. Davrud's Sandstorm, and Daft Punk's One More Time. Other songs for the year included Underworld's Cowgirl, Mojo's Lady Hear Me Tonight, A Touch of Classes All Around the World, Sonique's Sky, Moby's Natural Blues, Fatboy Slim's Weapon of Choice, and also Star 69, Angelic's It's My Turn, and The Prodigy's Baby's Got a Temper. The top 10 DJs of the year, according to DJ Mag's annual Top 100 DJs poll, were Sasha, Paul Oakenfold, John Digweed, Paul Van Dyke, Carl Cox, Judge Jules, Danny Teneglia, Fergie, Lisa Lashes, and Danny Howells. In Latin music, the biggest artists of the year included Mark Anthony, Son of Four, Gloria Estefan, Carlos Vives, Christina Aguilera, A.B. Quintanilla y los Cumbia Kings, 
Shakira, Enrique Iglesias, Ibrahim Ferrer, Gilberto Santarosa, Joan Sebastian, Los Angeles Azules, Los Temerarios, Banda El Recodo, and Ricardo Onjonio. Broadway musicals or revivals that opened in 2000 included Aida, The Dead, The Full Monty, Jane Eyre, The Music Man, and Susical, The Musical. Musical films and documentaries that were released in 2000 included Almost Famous, Dancer in the Dark, Darling, Darling, The Filth and the Fury, Song Catcher, Help, I'm a Fish, The Road to El Dorado, The Tigger Movie, The Fantastics, and Turn It Up. Artists who were born in 2000 included rappers 24 Golden, Digga D, Little Pump, and Young Lyric, along with singers Gabby Barrett, Willow Smith, Baby Ariel, Halle Bailey of Chloe and Halle, singer-songwriter Biba Doobie, reggae singer Coffee, Surf Mesa, Hatchin and Yang Yang of NCT, producer Nick Mira, and Noah Cyrus. Artists who unfortunately passed away in 2000 included singers Ofra Haza, Ian Dury, Kirsty McCall, Nazia Hassan, and Johnny Taylor, along with rappers Big Pun and Joe C., country music singer Jimmy Davis, pianist Victor Borga, Benjamin Orr of The Cars, DJ Screw, Screamin' Jay Hawkins, Tito Puente, Dennis Danel of Social Distortion, saxophonist Stanley Turrentine, pop staples of the staple singers and composer Jack Nitze. In award ceremonies for the music of 2000, Steely Dan won Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards for Two Against Nature. U2 won Record and Song of the Year for Beautiful Day, and Shelby Lynn won Best New Artist. Eminem's video for the song The Real Slim Shady won Video of the Year at the MTV Video Music Awards. During the ceremony, by the way, Rage Against the Machine's Tim Comerford climbed the scaffolding on the stage during Limp Biscuit's performance for whatever reason no one knows to this very day. At the American Music Awards, Tony Braxton, Creed, The Backstreet Boys, Dr. Dre, Faith Hill, and Enrique Iglesias were the big winners. At the Billboard Music Awards, Destiny's Child won Artist of the Year. Destiny's Child and Jay-Z won Entertainers of the Year at the Soul Train Music Awards, making it one of the rare times that there was actually a tie for Entertainer of the Year. Faith Hill, Garth Brooks, and NSYNC won the music categories at the People's Choice Awards. At the Eurovision Singing Contest, which was held that year in Sweden, the Olsen Brothers from Denmark won for the song Fly on the Wings of Love. The Dixie Chicks, now known as the Chicks, won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards, while Shania Twain won Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards. Coldplay won Best British Album for Parachutes, and Robbie Williams won Best Song for Rock DJ at the Brit Awards. The Bare Naked Ladies won Best Album for Maroon, while Nelly Furtado won Best Song for I'm Like a Bird at the Juno Awards. Killing Heidi won Album of the Year for Reflector, and Madison Avenue won Single of the Year for Don't Call Me Baby at the Aria Music Awards.
At the Tony Awards, Contact won Best Musical and Kiss Me Kate won Best Revival of a Musical. The Pulitzer Prize for Music was won by Louis Straplin for Life is a Dream, Opera in Three Acts, Act Two, Concert Version. Musically, at the Academy Awards, Bob Dylan won Best Song for Things Have Changed from the movie Wonder Boys, and Tan Dunn won Best Original Score for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Badly Drawn Boy won the Mercury Music Prize for the album The Hour of Bewilderbeast. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony took place on March 6th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City that year. At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, the Sidemen category was introduced for the very first time. The category was given to honor, quote, the musicians who were out of the spotlight who performed as backup musicians for major musicians, either in recording sessions or in concert, end quote. Drummer Hal Blaine, saxophonist King Curtis, bass guitarist James Jamerson, guitarist Scotty Moore, and drummer Earl Palmer were the first inductees for that category. The category was discontinued after 2009 and merged into the Award for Musical Excellence category. Meanwhile, legendary record executive Clive Davis was inducted into the Non-Performers category, Nat King Cole and Billie Holiday were inducted into the Early Influencers category. And in the Performers category, the Hall inducted Eric Clapton, Earth, Wind & Fire, The Love and Spoonful, Bonnie Raitt, James Taylor, and this next group. The group The Moon Glows made their name in the very beginnings of the early rock and roll era of the 1950s, before artists like Elvis Presley, Fats Domino, and Chuck Berry gave rocket swagger. The group started out as the duo of Louisville, Kentucky friends Harvey Fuqua and Bobby Lester, who got together in 1949 after they both got out of the United States Army. A couple of years later, Harvey decided to move to Cleveland, Ohio, where he started the group The Crazy Sounds with Danny Coggins and Prentice Barnes. Later in that year, Bobby himself would move to Cleveland and ended up joining The Crazy Sounds with Harvey. The next year, in 1952, The Crazy Sounds auditioned at a club in Cleveland for a slot on the club's lineup. The club owners knew a local radio DJ at the time who was making a name for himself, future Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Alan Freed. The club owners got Alan to listen to the crazy sounds, and then once Alan did, he became the group's manager. The first thing that Alan did as manager was to change the name of the group from the crazy sounds to the moon glows. The next thing that he did was to sign them to his record label Champagne. The group wasn't successful at first, and Danny ended up leaving the group. So, they replaced Danny with Alexander Walton, who went by the name Peter Graves. The Moonglows started recording for the Chance record label, but those recordings didn't pan out too well on the charts either. And then, fate changed things. In 1953, Alan Freed started a radio show on WINS Radio in New York City. The show was extremely popular, 
But what that meant for the Moonglows was that they ended up gaining exposure on the show, which led to the group getting a record contract with Chess Records. And it was at Chess Records that the group hit pay dirt. The first song of theirs that Chess released was Sincerely in 1954 for the Rock, Rock, Rock movie soundtrack. The song shot up to number one on the R&B charts, and a more watered-down version of the song became a big hit for the group The McGuire Sisters. Sincerely was followed up by Most of All and We Go Together, which also became hits. There were some other shifts with various members going in and out of the group. However, when Billy Johnson joined the group in 1955, which added a guitarist to the vocal group, the lineup that is considered the classic lineup of the group became Bobby Lester, Harvey Fuqua, Billy Johnson, Pete Graves, and Prentice Barnes. During the group's initial run from 1953 to 1958, the Moon Glows had seven songs hit the top 15 on the R&B charts. Sincerely, Most of All, We Go Together, When I'm With You, Seesaw, Please Send Me Someone to Love, and The Ten Commandments of Love. Four of those songs hit the top 40 on the Pops charts, although the highest to chart on the Pop chart was Sincerely, which actually only topped out at number 20. After finishing their recording contract in late 1958, the group went their separate ways, with Harvey Fuqua having the most success. In fact, it was actually Harvey who helped to discover another future Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Marvin Gaye. Harvey took Marvin's group at the time, the Marquis, brought in Chuck Barksdale from the group The Dells, and renamed the group Harvey and the New Moonglows. That version of the Moonglows recorded until late 1960 when Marvin went to Detroit, Michigan and started working for the Motown record label. Harvey soon followed Marvin to Detroit and worked with Motown during the label's heyday in the 1960s. Fuqua and Lester separately got other versions of the Moonglows together over the next couple of decades, going through at least 20 different group members collectively. Variations of the group toured here and there for a few years at a time, until each classic lineup member passed away, mainly from cancer. Fuqua was the last one of the classic lineup to pass away in 2010. Inducted into the Hall by Paul Simon of Class of 1990 inductees Simon and Garfunkel and also in 2001 as a solo artist, Harvey Fuqua, Bobby Lester, Peter Graves, Prentice Barnes, and Billy Johnson. The Moon Glows, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Class of 2000, and we have a selection of their music on our podcast playlist, the link of which is in the show notes. Before we go any further, we'd like to tell you that there is now a Music History In-Depth podcast where we go more in-depth on a few of the events that happened in music history for that particular week. The Music History In-Depth podcast drops every Tuesday on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from, as does our Music History Today podcast, which goes over the daily events in music history. 
The Music History Today podcast drops daily, including weekends, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to this podcast. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recently released its nominees for the performers category for this year's induction into the next class for the hall. This list does not include whoever they decide will be inducted in the other categories like musical excellence or early influencers. Therefore, the list for the performers category is as follows. Mary J. Blige, Mariah Carey, Cher, Dave Matthews Band, Eric B. and Rakim, Foreigner, Peter Frampton, Jane's Addiction, Cool and the Gang, Lenny Kravitz, Oasis, Sinead O'Connor, Ozzy Osbourne, Charday, and A Tribe Called Quest. Okay, first the good news. Unlike in the last couple of years, where at least one nomination left me scratching my head, looking at you, Lionel Richie. I can't even be remotely upset at this list. There isn't a single clunker on here. Every single artist is worthy of induction. No argument. Some of these artists, we've actually been screaming about letting them in for a while, like Mariah Carey. And some we actually very recently featured, like Cool in the Gang. So thank you, Hall voters, for at least listening to one of my podcasts. Now... To bring the anger, where the hell are Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, Hall? I swear if these bands don't make it into one of your other categories in a few months, I'm going to be really, really upset. Make it happen, Hall voters. Same thing goes for Dionne Warwick, Queen Latifah, The Runaways, and a whole list of other people, but that's for another podcast. All right, back to who got nominated. As has been the case for a number of years, you have a chance to vote on who you think should be inducted into the hall. Yes, you. In fact, the fan vote is 150th of the total hall vote, I believe. I could be wrong on the math. Could actually be more like 1-100th. Regardless, the fan vote counts. So, go to rockhall.com to vote. That's R-O-C-K-H-A-L-L dot C-O-M to vote. You can do it once a day until early April. At least I believe it's early April. What we will also do is what we always do around this time of the year. We will make the case on this podcast for you to make a decision as to who to vote for. Therefore, for the next couple of months, until the fan vote officially ends, we will go over the resumes of all the nominees, usually two to three per episode. In fact, we're going to start next week with the Divas, starting off with Mary J. Blige and Mariah Carey. Here's a main problem with this list. All of the artists are deserving, but not all of them can get in because the hall usually only allows somewhere around six to maybe ten artists into the performers category. Sometimes an artist who's up for nomination in this category won't make it into this particular category, but will be put in in the same year under the musical excellence or a different category. LL Cool J got into the hall that way a couple years ago, as did Judas Priest. 
Therefore, a couple of these artists might get shifted over and still get in, even if they don't get in as a performer. We'll see. As was the case last year, the final nominations list will be announced in late April. The Hall Ceremony will be streamed live again later in the year on Disney+, Plus, probably somewhere around November, I figure. And ABC Television will carry an edited version of the ceremony sometime in early 2025, probably around New Year's like they did this year. Do not forget to vote. Like I said, you can do it once a day. Unlike the presidential election, we'll say. Actually, let's not get into that. That's just going to get messy. We will put a link in the show notes for you to vote, and we will start in the next episode by making the case for you to show Mariah Carey and Mary J. Blige some love with your votes. Spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, I suspect that knowing her fan base, Mariah Carey will probably win the fan vote. But you never know, though. Maybe the Aussie army will show up and help him take the whole thing. We shall see. Good list, though, this year. Congratulations, Hall. You finally got one right. The Songwriters Hall of Fame was started in 1969 by Johnny Mercer and publishers Abe Oldman and Howie Richmond. As of right now, the Hall of Fame is part of the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles, California. Its hours of operation are normally Sunday through Thursday from 10.30 to 6.30, Friday and Saturday from 10 to 8, and closed on Tuesdays. There are, however, plans to construct a permanent physical hall in the basement of the famous Brill Building on Broadway in New York City. The Brill Building is famous for being a songwriting mecca for songwriters such as Carol King to hone her craft back in the day. There are many different awards that the Hall actually gives out. We're going to talk about the 2013 winner of the Pioneer Award, which is awarded to, quote, recognize the career of an historic creator of an extensive body of musical work that has been a major influence on generations of songwriters, end quote. This next guy qualifies for that. A man in Detroit, Michigan, started a record company that was at the forefront of R&B music for over 30 years. In the late 1950s, Barry Gordy was a songwriter. He wrote songs for artists such as The Matadors and Jackie Wilson. He's credited with having written Jackie's big hit, Lonely Teardrops. Like a lot of songwriters, though, Barry felt that he wasn't getting the money he deserved to be making, and truthfully, he was correct. Barry decided that it was time for him to start his own record company. Around that time, his sister started a record company called Anna Records and wanted Barry to join. Barry said no because he wanted to have his own thing. He borrowed some money, took his royalties that he made off of Lonely Teardrops, and started a record company. And on January 12, 1959, Tamla Records opened for business. It was called Tamla because Tammy Records was already taken. Eventually, it became known as Motown after Anna Records and Tamla Records merged because Detroit's nickname is the Motor City, hence Motown. Uh, 
At first, Barry's records were being released nationally under Anna Records, including his first hit record, which was Barrett Strong's Money, That's What I Want. Barry then signed the act who he used to write songs for, The Matadors. That group also changed its name to The Miracles. The lead singer of the group, Smokey Robinson, was given a role in the company's leadership, along with other members of the family, including Anna. As the years went on, the record company grew to the point that by 1966, they had 450 employees and made over $20 million annually, which in 1966 was an awful lot of money. They also perfected their now legendary assembly line ways of doing business. They did everything from writing songs for their acts to teaching their acts how to do press interviews and perform. Their roster reads like a who's who of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, The Temptations, The Four Tops, Diana Ross and the Supremes, Stevie Wonder, The Jackson Five, and the list just goes on and on and on. For decades, they were the wealthiest black-owned company in America. Now, they're a part of Capitol Records. And even though their heyday seems long since past, their mark on American culture will never be forgotten. To understand the importance of Motown Records in their heydays of the 1960s, let's look at one of their songs from another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer who recorded for Motown in the 60s and early 70s, Marvin Gaye. One of Marvin's biggest hits during his Motown period is a song that has its own life. The song was originally written by Motown singer Barrett Strong, who, during a trip to Chicago, Illinois, overheard someone say the phrase, I heard it through the grapevine. The phrase comes from the slaves in the South who used to pass messages through a few different ways, and among those were gospel spirituals. For instance, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot was a song about people coming from the North to guide runaway slaves to freedom. Another way was through gossip in the field, or through the grapevine. Strong built the song around that phrase and also around the idea of a guy who just found out that his girl's been cheating on him. Producer Norman Whitfield then put the final touches on Strong's song with the lyrics. Whitfield produced a recording by The Miracles. It was going to be released as a single, but Barry Gordy didn't like the song. He thought it needed to be stronger. Marvin's version was the second version of the song to be recorded in February and April of 1967 in Studio A of Hitsville, USA, otherwise known as Motown Records Headquarters. Again, it was supposed to be released as a single. Again, Barry Gordy rejected it. Gladys Knight and the Pips were next up to record it. And again, it was supposed to be released as a single. This time, however, Barry conceded and it was released, chiefly because this version was faster than the other versions. Barry also thought that the Pips version was a whole lot better than the other versions. And initially, Barry's gamble paid off. The Pips version became the biggest selling song in Motown's history up to that point. That was 1967. Now, back to Marvin's version. Whitfield decided that Marvin's version was worthy and again pitched it to be put out as a single. And again, Barry said no. 
Barry's excuse this time was that he didn't want to release the same exact song by two different artists back-to-back. So, he made Whitfield a deal. Barry said that it was okay for the song to be put on Marvin's new album, In the Groove. The album was released in September of 1968. Funny thing happened, though. For some reason, radio DJs started playing the song, and it became a huge radio hit. And then once that happened, Motown and Barry Gordy had no choice but to release Marvin's version as its own single, which they finally did on October 30th, 1968. And while the Pips had taken their version to number one in America, number three in Canada, and number 47 in the UK, Marvin's version not only hit number one in both the U.S. and Great Britain, it also went to number three in South Africa, number seven in Ireland, number eight in Canada, number 25 in the Netherlands, number 40 in Australia, number 88 in France. It was the fourth biggest hit of 1969 in America and the 28th biggest hit of 1969 in Canada. In 1983, the movie The Big Chill turned it into a hit all over again, while the 1986 reissued version also charted highly, going to number four in Ireland, number eight in the UK, number 18 in both Belgium and the Netherlands, and number 48 in West Germany. Marvin's version became Motown's biggest selling song, eclipsing the Pips version of the same song, and ended up as the 84th biggest hit on Billboard's Hot 100 charts of all time. The song has been recorded a bunch of times, including a popular version by Creedence Clearwater Revival, which got as high as number 43 in America, and a 1981 version by Roger Troutman, which went to number one on Billboard's R&B chart in America. The song has also appeared in commercials, most notably by the California Raisin Board, complete with claymation dancing and singing raisins. The claymation raisins became extremely popular because of it and even got their own TV specials and, of course, toys, lunchboxes, etc., etc. Pretty sure that Strong and Whitfield had singing raisins in mind when they wrote the song back in the 1960s. Pretty sure it was right up there on the top of their heads. The song I Heard It Through the Grapevine, which is an example of the power of Motown Records and also the power of the label owner and executive Barry Gordy, who won the Songwriters Hall of Fame Pioneer Award in 2013. And as proof of that power, we are going to put I Heard It Through the Grapevine, along with a number of Motown's greatest hits on our podcast playlist, the link to which is in the show notes. The Music Halls of Fame podcast is part of the Music History Today network, which can be found under Music History Today on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast from, and also on our YouTube page under Music History Today. Thank you very much for listening.